come on guys, help me out. None of you, none of you tried to explain what I wasn't getting in the Sandman episode one. No one. <clears throat> some of you said you're enjoying it. Some of you said you're sticking with it. Some of you said you're watching it, but didn't really say what you were thinking of it. So come on, is the Sandman doing it for you? If you are into TV reviews, streaming reviews, movie reviews, movie trailers, you name it, all that kind of stuff, hit the subscribe button uh, and you will be notified whenever we react, review or respond to any of those. Um, so this is a review of Sandman, The Sandman, Netflix's The Sandman, uh, Neil Gaiman's The Sandman, episodes two and three. Uh, we reviewed episode one and I kind of said, said at the end of that review, the jury's out, uh, I'm willing to go stick with it, I'm willing to go with it, I'm willing to go with um, Sturridge's Morpheus, if you like, Tom Sturridge who plays Dream, uh, Morpheus, The Sandman. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to stick with his, 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 his gravelly baritone kind of husky hushed toned voiceover as he takes us into this sort of fantasy land. So episode two and we are getting to know our characters a bit more. Obviously not Charles Dance, he's dead. Um, Morpheus is free, Morpheus has returned to the dreaming which is in a sense his kingdom and his, his lair, his his court but lots of his kind of employees if you like have done a runner. Uh, it's in ruins, uh, people have gone, people have abandoned him, they felt he'd abandoned them so they abandoned him. Um, we have these two characters. He goes to meet Cain and Abel. What did you make of them? Sanjeev Baskan, I forget the name of the other actor. Um, a pre pretty, pretty weird kind of odd pairing. Uh, and they're in, they're, they have a pet gargoyle called Gregory. And I have to say, I thought the gargoyle, I thought our pet gargoyle was so cute. It was one of the cutest dragony type things I think I've ever seen in anything. It topped Game of Thrones, it topped The Hobbit, it just cutesville doesn't come close. But of course, what happens? Because Morpheus is a miserable old git and he's got, he can't say, can't help, but everything is said in a terribly breathless sort of way. I, I think we're going to get, I'm going to get tired of Morpheus unless he injects a little bit of gallows humour. I forgot to mention in the review of the first episode, I think at his best he could be a little bit Alan Rickman-like, a sort of young Alan Rickman. But Alan Rickman got away with what he did because he was always kind of slightly taking the piss out of himself. So I think Tom Sturridge needs to bring in just a little bit of piss-takiness. I think a little bit of humour needs to come in there. Um, anyway, so he goes off to see Cain and Abel, obviously, pun, no pun intended there, Garden of Eden, all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, Sanjeev Bhaskar repeatedly kills his brother and Morpheus sucks the essence of the gargoyle away because he gave a part of himself to do it, I presume sand or something like that. And in sucking the energy away from this gargoyle, Morpheus gives himself enough energy to essentially uh, take himself off and summon the three fates. And so we had a little bit of a sort of, I don't know, we had a bit of a sort of cheap Macbeth moment here with uh, the three fates kind of essentially screaming sort of abuse at Morpheus, uh, the dream, uh, dream and, and sort of telling him where his artifacts are. And of course, this is all pivoting around three artifacts. We've got the sand, we've got the ruby, and we've got his helm. I don't know if they decided not to call it helmet, because that would just make us all go <laughs> all the time. So we discover that the sand is in possession of an exorcist who's going to be played by Jenna Coleman, who we're going to see in the next episode. The helm is owned by a demon in hell, don't know who yet, and the ruby is owned by Jolie Richardson, well it's kind of co-owned isn't it, by Jolie Richardson and Jolie Richardson's son, Richardson's son, who is David Thewlis, who we, I know is going to become a psychopath, and I know by the end of episode three, is a huge psychopath. The sand thing, 
I'm not entirely convinced that you can pivot so much gravitas and so much seriousness and so much heaviness around something as inconsequential as sand um, and a ruby and a helm. So uh, the helm, less so. A helm, I think, the, the helm is so sort of sophisticated and quite, it's quite a brilliant prop. I, I can sort of, I can give that sort of some heft, but the sand, I'm not, uh, the sand isn't doing it for me. Um, it was lovely to see Jolie Richardson in this episode. She had a scene with Corinthian, uh, Corinthian uh, played by Boyd Holbrook, who of course, I forgot and I didn't realise was from Narcos. We liked him in, in Narcos. He's, he's very camp. He carries, I think, I think Boyd Holbrook uh, carries the, the right balance of comedy, piss-takiness, not taking it too seriously, but at the same time successfully being malevolent. And I think Tom Sturridge needs to match that like for like. Uh, so Jolie Richardson and Corinthian, they come head to head. Corinthian wants to blackmail her. She's an art dealer. Um, he wants to blackmail her into helping him. Um, and uh, as I say, Dream, meanwhile, is back at his gaff with his assistant. What do we think of Dream's assistant? I, Ah, I'm not entirely convinced. Is it Lucienne? Lucienne? She's so plummy and so formal and so devoid of any, I hate to say it, any character. She is merely a warm prop, surely more of a kind of rapport or informality or a bit of kind of humour could be developed between the two of them, whereas it's very functional where she asks him what he's doing, he says it, says this, she says don't do that, and he says I've got to do this, and, and all this kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm finding the assistant, I'm really sorry, I'm finding the uh, Lucienne character diabolically cringeworthy, lacking in any real relationship and purely functional, whereas Corinthian, uh, the whole Corinthian and, and Jolie Richardson scene I thought was far richer, far more tense, far more layers to it. Um, generally, I have to say, for all of the kind of CGI effects and the fact it's very dark, it's very, it's Tim Burton-like, um, it's not very cinematic. I, you know, the, the, the camera shots are very static. They often hold a sort of wide two or a wide three shot. Uh, they're quite slow, they're quite ponderous. The scenes aren't edited rapidly. There's a couple of moments, a great scene when he sort of looked into the water and we went into his eye and then we came out of his eye. And that was when he went to meet the fates. But then I felt the three fates, the three witches were, that was dealt with a bit obviously. It was a bit kind of, yeah, all right, God, here we go. Rah! Suddenly, yeah, he hasn't, rah, you've had your three witches, all that kind of stuff. Um, one other joy at the end of this though episode was there was a baby gargoyle, there was a baby egg with a baby gargoyle came along and we discovered that funnily enough Sanjeev Bhaskar keeps killing his brother again and again and again and I have to say I thought thank God for Sanjeev Bhaskar who was only in it for five minutes because he for me was a really really nice nice and needed uh, element of, 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 of light relief in a sense. Uh, but I am finding by the end of episode two I was finding and I am finding Dream a bit of a humorous soul. Sandman 3 episode 3, episode 3, Jenna Coleman starts with Jenna Coleman, she's good, she's a good, she's I do like Jenna Coleman. She was the one in... Was she in that... The Cry? Was she in that show, The Cry, where she lost her baby in in Australia? Or did she lose her baby? baby or did she... Did she, she was, oh, she was great in that. She was great in that series. And I, and I hear she's brilliant as Queen Victoria. Uh, she's great. She's brought in... There's a scene where she's brought in to exorcise a demon by Mira Sayal, Sanjeev Bhaskar's wife, who plays a... I thought she was great too. I think uh, Sanjeev and Mira are brilliant in this. She plays a sort of... Uh, quite sort of, you know, sort of street savvy priest. I thought that was quite nice. Nice rapport between Jenna Coleman and Mira Sayal. Really like that. Another good scene between um, Jolie Richardson and, and David Thewlis. At this point, jo Jolie Richardson's gone to find uh, David Thewlis. We saw that at the end of episode two. He's in pyjamas. I quite like this. I like the idea that David Thewlis is a villain in pyjamas. That's sort of counterintuitive. It's quite, I, I'm, I'm gathering, that's quite Neil Gaiman. She's a liar. He's the son of Charles Dance, the one who went missing, I, I, I think. I think that's what I gathered from this. And she calls Charles Dance a C-U-N-T. 
I think she's, she's great value for money, I think, in this, Jolie Richardson. I really like her. Which is why it's a shame that by the end of this episode, she is no more. Um, there's a great quote from uh, Morpheus, or Dream, where he says, Sand! Why can't, can't, I, maybe they felt in the edit that someone needed to justify sand as, as, as a reason for all of this sort of series. We're chasing sand. Um, and... Morpheus says, uh, or Dream says, sand without without sand, civilization has no dreams. If dreams disappear, so will humanity. And so we're kind of reminded, I think the executive producers may have crept into the edit there and said, I think we need to remind the viewer why this sand is quite as important as it is. They introduce a talking crow. Not good. I don't think talking crows are great. Uh, I don't think talking birds are great. Uh, but more on the crow a little bit later. Um, he goes to find Jenna Coleman. Jenna Coleman's having a dream. She's pulling the arm off someone and all this kind of stuff. I quite like Jenna Coleman's character in this. She's kind of, you know, she's street wise. She's street savvy. She's an exorc exorcist. Um, she uh, She's kind of street speak. You know, you, you're not used to hearing Jenna Coleman talk with kind of Cockney accent and swearing and effing and blinding and all that kind of stuff. Quite like all of that. Um, she realises that Morpheus or Dream was locked up for many years and this seems to sort of pain her and agonise her and we episode three we kind of quite conventionally are chop cutting between Dream and Jenna Coleman uh, between them and Jolie Richardson and, and David Thewlis but one thing that is a pet hate of mine when you do these cross-cut situations and I'd like to flag this up with the director of this this episode we can cope with the idea that time has passed and we haven't seen everything so for example Jolie Richards and David Thewlis have a scene, which happens in real time. Say it happens across 15 to 30 minutes. But when we cut away from them to other action, when we cut back, it's as if no time has passed. So they're having, the, they start the next sentence as if it's the coming off the back of the last sentence at the last moment we saw them. But it, meanwhile, a whole scene has happened. And unless you're going to make a feature of the fact that these two scenes are happening completely concurrently at the same time, and actually time isn't moving and we're... It was a bit weird. It was a bit... It was a bit plinky plonky. It was a bit obvious. It was a bit conventional, and it was a bit unimaginative. I thought the cross cutting. I, I think if you're going to cross cut, you need to allow one scene to have developed a little bit further, and then give your your next bit of information rather than just pick it up all the way along. Otherwise, it just ends up feeling like you've cut from one literally plonk two scenes in the edit, cut from one cut to the other, cut from one cut to the other, and there's no no time has passed in the real world of the scene whilst you've been away, and that really annoys me. And I thought that cheapened in a sense. It cheapened the Jolie Richardson, David Thewlis scenes because I just didn't feel that there was any authenticity to what they were saying to each other. I mean, it was a, it was a good scene. Just run the scene long. I think they should have just run the scene long rather than cutting it up. I suppose that maybe that's what they should have done. Um, lots of chat about the ruby. Lots of talk about the way in which David Thewlis clearly went on a bit of a rampage and people died when he last had the ruby. So it's a toy that he mustn't play with. You know, David Thewlis mustn't have the ruby, which of course means he's bound to have the ruby. Uh, didn't like the talking crow to begin with, but because Morpheus Dream, Tom Sturridge is really getting on my nerves. Is he getting on anyone else's nerves? Uh, I then started to quite like the crow. I thought the crow was kind of light relief in a sense uh, for Tom Sturridge's constantly breathless. I mean, there was a moment in episode two where he was trying to lift all the broken glass in his smashed up uh, sort of uh, kingdom. It was like watching Robert Smith. Is it Robert Smith from The Cure trying to uh, pull together all the shit that had been smashed up at some sort of after gig party? Um, every time he talks. It's so serious. I couldn't lift the thing. I need the sand. Without sand, civilization will have no dreams. It's too much, guys. It's too much. That's not to say this is doing very well. Everyone's watching this. It's, it's getting lots of views. It's probably going to be a second season. I'm not saying I don't like. Uh, I'm not saying there aren't elements and aspects of it I do like. I do, but I just think I think we could 
we might be settling for second best here. I think we need a bit more from Tom Sturridge, but maybe that comes, maybe that comes in the rest of the series. Um, I've got notes here, problems with the concept. I'm struggling with the concept. If all you care about is sand, it's hard to care, care just about sand. Okay, they've said sand is more than sand. I realise it's the, the source of his strength and all that kind of stuff. Um, quite nice detail in here where Jenna Coleman's, you know, she's a bit of a fly by night, isn't she, with relationships and she sort of breaks hearts and she doesn't mind. She go, they go back and she sort of meets an old flame, an old girlfriend. She goes from being healthy to being extremely ill and the sand, a little bit like the ring in Lord of the Rings, if you have too much of a good thing, it ends up leaving you weak and, and emaciated and on death's door, which is what happened to Jenna Coleman's uh, 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 girlfriend in this. So Morpheus is, is, is sort of helps her out by essentially letting her die peacefully. Um, I liked all that. I like the fact that they swear a bit in this. That means they sort of lifts it a little bit up further from that kind of Doctor Who type thing. Um, my, my problem with, with Dream, my problem with Star Wars is he's drifting through scenes. He's so static. He's just standing in his rain jacket you know his trench coat just sort of looking down and kind of uh, and I want him to get mucky I want him to be a bit more you know hopefully hopefully I mean there was a couple of moments where he kind of looked at the crow and wondered sort of had a sort of a sort of vaguely tongue-in-cheek comment about something or other um we cut back to Thewlis uh, and Thewlis well Jolie Richardson ages horrendously because she takes the thing off is it the ruby itself she gives it to gives it to david thewlis david thewlis is in possession suddenly guards appear and they're going to shoot him and they're splatting a la the boys there's this is now the new we have a new benchmark of people splat exploding which has been established by prime uh, amazon primes the boys and it's here it's here david thewlis splats security guards so we're in the land of splatting people and thewlis does that and he's in his pajamas and again as i say i like him in his pajamas it's great a villain in pajamas and and a villain with a sort of he's not really aware of his villainy though he knows he's kind of he's causing shit all around him so that's kind of nice um corinthian uh, just happens to be in the street <laughs> god what a great hookup david thewlis and corinthian boyd Hol holbrook they come together he gives him his coat uh, David Thewlis is touched and suddenly he's not like pyjamas and a, and a jacket, which he's really happy about. At the end of episode three, I've just started episode four and I'm just thinking, I need, it's not about humour. I don't want Marvel-esque humour. I just think we could have light and shade. I think there needs to be a bit of light and shade. And at the moment, there's so much shade to Tom Sturridge. He, he's always in the shadows. He's always shady. His voice is almost like a shadow. <sighs> We just need a bit of light. I, I just need a bit of light. So I'm kind of excited about the introduction of the Gwendolyn Christie character uh, forthcoming, I hope, and, and seeing a bit more David Thewlis's uh, inadvertent pyjama-ridden malevolence. I'm looking forward to that. Um, uh, what do you think, guys? Am I being harsh? Am I, should I stick with it? Should I keep persisting? Um, I think I like... It's quite static. For saying it's got all this CGI stuff, it's quite still. And I'm surprised by that. I'm surprised the cinematography isn't more inventive. I mean, they're, they're putting CGI into a lot of scenes. There's a lot of nice lighting of scenes, but they're quite they're quite simplistically blocked out the scenes. I don't know what you think. Anyway, tell me where I'm. Tell me what I'm missing. For more film and family fun, don't forget to click the subscribe button and make sure to click the bell to never miss an update.